Hi, everyone. This is Erica Carbajal with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series, and thanks so much for listening in today. We're thrilled to be joined by Madhavi Kasanadini, VP of Market Strategy at New Century Health, and we're going to be discussing the trends affecting the future of oncology care. So, Madhavi, thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks for having me, Erica. So before we get into any of the discussion, can you start by just giving listeners an overview of the current oncology landscape and kind of just touch on why it's such a challenging time for cancer care delivery right now? Sure, happy to. You know, there's a lot of trends that affect the oncology space, as you can imagine. Um, and I don't think that we can we can really say there's ever been a easy time in, in managing and, and sort of um, driving change in cancer care. But certainly there are a couple of trends that really feel like um, they, they've, they've reached a um, peak, if you will. Um, and as we look to 2023, are top of mind for us. And so the first um, that comes to mind, and certainly we can't really talk about oncology without talking about the drug pipeline, is that there were three recent blockbuster approvals for treating breast cancer. Um, so uh, three, three drugs for clinicians uh, listening in in the cancer space will feel familiar. Um, one is uh, Trodelvi, the second is Inhertu, and then finally Keytruda. So for each of these um, drugs, uh, there were expanded indications uh, in treating breast cancer. And for each, um, we see a significant increase in the number of patients will able will be that will be able to benefit from uh, from these medications and these expanded indications. So, for example, for Tridelvi, um, it's been extended to two indications in the breast cancer space, which actually make up seventy four percent of all breast cancer. So that could lead to as much as a three to five x increase in its use. So the bottom line in terms of the drug pipeline that we're sort of um, tracking here is that a lot of patients are going to benefit from this medicine and these expanded indications, which is exactly what we want to see from the pipeline, and we should certainly celebrate. Now, the other side of that coin, of course, is that it means that costs will go up, go up for one of the top four cancers in nearly every line of business for health plans. So that's the first piece that we're tracking. Um, the second um, piece that we're tracking, and, and this is one um, uh, that's pretty exciting, is just a lot of energy um, to drive value in cancer coming from the Biden administration. So soon after um, he, he got in seat, uh, we saw the announcement of the cancer moonshot, um, then CMMI announced um, the, the EOM program, and there were certainly um, several components in the design of that program that focus on equity, so a big shift there. Um, and then most recently, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, there are actually three provisions in the um, Inflation Reduction Act that will most certainly impact the oncology space. Um, and the first of those is the $2,000 cap on for Medicare beneficiaries for their out-of-pocket expenses for Part D drugs or orally. Oncolytics, and that'll start in 2025. So this will be huge for patients, of course. Um, we know that many cancer patients suffer from financial toxicity, and um, so really an opportunity to support um, Medicare members um, in this space. The second is the inflation rebate penalty, where pharmaceutical manufacturers um, with drug prices that are rising faster than inflation will actually be penalized with rebates um, starting in October of 2022. Um, so this, um, you know, is something that we expect to impact uh, the hematology and oncology drugs almost immediately. Um, there was recently an ICER report on unsupported price increases, and a lot of drugs in these categories were called out there. 
Um, and then the, the third piece of the um, uh, of that policy um, uh, landscape is um, that HHS will be able to negotiate prices for the top 50 Part D and Part B drugs. Um, you know, these are ones that have had several years post-approval under their belt, um, and they have the highest Medicare spending, um, and they also tend to have no uh, biosimilar or generic competition. Um, so the first focus um, is likely going to be on insulin, given the recent press and focus on, in diabetes and the cost of care there. Um, but we suspect that um, there's going to be impact on PD-1 and PDL one class of drugs, which is um, uh, used in the oncology space. So a lot to see um, there. And then, of course, the third trend um, that we are tracking and, and really focused on is around the provider space. And this is a continued trend around consolidation. Um, it's something that is, you know, kind of we see across the board in the, in the provider landscape. Um, but when we look at oncology in particular, uh, we've reached a point um, look, over the last 10 years where nearly half of medical oncologists are employed by the largest 5% of practices. Um, and there's been an overall decline in both medical and radiation oncology practices. So, um, you know, that further consolidation is going to mean, um, you know, less competition in those markets and, and certainly an impact to kind of the, um, the pricing and cost of care in those, in those spaces. Thanks for walking through all that. I think you know, as you touched on, a lot of things to be excited about that are coming down the pipeline with some of these new drugs, but also a lot, a lot to keep track of as well, right, with, um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act and what some of these updates that are going to come out of the Cancer Moonshot relaunch that we've seen. And you mentioned drug costs. You know, we're going to see costs go up for one of the top four breast cancers, as you mentioned. So, if, if these costs continue to rise and provider consolidation continues at the rapid pace that we've seen, what will the future of cancer care look like? Or what will that mean for the future of care? Yeah, there's a little bit of two paths here. So, um, you know, there's one path where the future looks a lot like the trajectory that we've been on for the past decade. So we'll see oncology spend um, trends continue to rise at 8%, 16%, even 20% in some markets. So really simply unsustainable growth from a cost perspective. Um, as you see oncology payment, you know, sort of staying rooted in fee-for-service economics, especially in those highly consolidated and sometimes hospital-dominated markets, um, you know, that I think puts us in a situation where we both see cost growth, but also a scenario where patient outcomes aren't meaningfully changing. So we will see patients that aren't receiving care in line with their care goals and that, that will face financial tox toxicity. So that's kind of the, you know, one side of the coin. I think the other path that we could be on um, is a world where we really start to see a shift towards value. Um, and that can be, you know, part and parcel with this, um, you know, consolidated provider market where there's just more opportunity for um, health plans, organizations like New Century Health to partner with providers and really align on value-based payment models and oncology that don't impede on the economics of the practice, but also reward and ensure that patients are getting the right treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely hoping to see more of that second path and, and less financial toxicity in, in cancer care. Can you also talk about how health plans specifically can navigate some of these headwinds and really just position their oncology programs for future success? 
Of course, great question. So, you know, with more approvals, we'll need to be hyper vigilant and, and health plans in particular about not just what is approvable, um, you know, based on kind of FDA approvals and on compendia. So things like national guidelines, but really looking to what does the latest primary medical literature, literature say about the best path for a specific patient indication. Um, and this is where our clinical team is really focused. Um, so especially in light of these new breast cancer indications that I mentioned, and certainly those are to be celebrated, we're really laser focused on aligning with providers to eliminate use of things that are compendia approvable. So something that might be on NCCN guidelines, but are actually low value care in other categories. Um, so really making sure that treatments are used for the right indication. As we see um, less competition, um, we're going to see greater unit costs. So, in fact, I was just describing that Inflation Reduction Act, and you know, uh, recently the Community Oncology Alliance put out a statement calling out that IRA provision um, to negotiate drug prices because it's going to adversely affect their bottom line. So, community practices are expecting um, you know a 52% reduction in what's called an add-on provider payment. So, these are scenarios where it's a um, Part B approvable drug and infusion. Um, and practices actually buy from the manufacturer and then bill for the plan. And so the practice makes a margin on those um, in the current fee schedule. And so that will, will be eroded in this new world. Um, so it's really important um, now more than ever to really align with those community practices under value-based payment models that keep the practice whole and incentivize that right treatment for the patient. Um, and then I think the third thing I would say is you know, there's a lot of innovation out there beyond the drug pipeline. So as we think about um, site of care shifts, as we think about the opportunity to connect patients to palliative care, um, there's a lot of innovation, um, but health plans need to be on the forefront of Front of it because it's it's not easy to do in a world where resources are scarce and um you know incentives might be misaligned so you know i would say you know really do the hard pilots um some of these the biggest opportunities to create value are on the horizon and so you know we've been spending a lot of time experimenting here frankly and piloting with our partners um to, to figure out kind of what will, what will it take to be successful. So for example, um, we set a, pro a program uh, last year with a health plan partner to refer patients using oncology authorization data and um, using that data refer patients to palliative care. But what ended up happening was that there wasn't enough capacity in the palliative care space to actually meet the patient demand that we were generating. So there was nowhere for the patients to go. Um, similarly, we know that patients wanna see site of care shifts for their cancer care. And there are some high quality pilots during the pandemic that we saw, but there's still a lot of barriers to sort of scale from there. Um, we started a pilot in a market and we found that one, Workforce shortages were really affecting the willingness um, of, of home nurse providers to support infusions. And then two, home health agencies also benefit from drug margins like, like practices. And so the cases that they were most interested in moving to the home space didn't necessarily align with where you know, some of the savings and value drivers would be. So we're really doubling down on our efforts here. And I think this is a space where health plans can really lead the market and, and develop um, a new path for driving value in cancer care. Sure, it sounds like a huge part of New Century Health is really focused on that provider alignment to reduce the low value care, as you mentioned. And I think you also just raised a great point about the big, some of the biggest opportunities to create value are not just about the new drug approvals and those are on the horizon as well. So 
lots to hopefully look forward to in this space. Before we wrap up, I wanted to see if there's just anything else regarding uh, cancer care trends or anything else on this topic we didn't get to that you think is important for listeners. Yeah, um, you know, I think it is becoming even harder and harder to bend the trend in cancer spend. And when we think about what success looks like, it really requires deep expertise in oncology. And as we've talked about, you know, really that um, aligned uh, and and two-way trusted relationship with providers in the market. Um, And that's where, you know, kind of New Century Health has spent the last, you know, 20 years is really building that expertise and building those relationships in the market. You know, we think about, you know, utilization management um, and the opportunity to sort of ensure that patients are, you know, getting the right treatment through a prior authorization sort of approval process. And that's only going to get us so far. So we're really going to need to partner um, to develop creative solutions to find, you know, what is the best opportunity in the market, um, you know, given the regulatory environment and and, and the provider dynamics to create value. Um, And we've been lucky to be a thought partner to over a dozen plans across the U.S., you know, large and small for over 20 years, um, and really excited about the impact that we'll be able to make together in 2020. 23 and beyond. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Madavi. It's been great to hear to hear about all the work that New Century Health is doing and some of the trends for oncology leaders to, to be tracking. And I also like to thank our podcast sponsor, New Century Health. And our audience can tune in to more podcasts by visiting the page at Beckerspodcast.com. Thanks, everyone.